Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fanstation, the podcast where you talk about anything and a little bit of everything with you, the fans. My name is Accordion. As always, you're here. You're listening. You're witnessing the amazingness that is this podcast called Fansation. I literally just said that. Welcome to Fansation. I don't know why I'm repeating myself. We're here with the lovely, magnificent, absolutely amazing, one and only Pokemon person VTuber thingy. It's not the only one, but it's the only one that I know personally. Arcanine. <laughs> hey, accordion. Hi, Kai. Hi. Did 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 you enjoy my over exuded, exuded something like that? Uh, over explanatory intro there. Always. It's the best. Everybody loves them. If if you don't love it, uh, why are you listening? It gets it gets the listeners hooked. Are are are, are you trying to uh, say that I'm like a hooker or something? Like what? <laughs> Well, what, what the no, hell? you just drop a good line, that's all. Oh, I drop a good line here. Uh-huh. Well, that's what all the ladies say. <laughs> <laughs> but hello, how, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Glad it's uh, the day that it is. Ah, the lovely day of the day of the day. Yes, the exact same day that the listeners are listening to it, indeed. Oh, yes, 100%. It's not like this is pre-recorded or anything. <laughs> no, live. Yeah, 100% live. You're listening to the first <laughs> live episode of Fantasation. How do you guys feel? <laughs> Great, thanks, chat. <laughs> so, so, Kai, care to uh, explain to our viewers, viewers, listeners, uh, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hi, listeners. Uh, my name is Kai, or Arcanine. Uh, I am a VTuber, and my persona is kind of based around Pokemon. My favorite Pokemon is Arcanine, and uh, my favorite video game growing up was Mystery Dungeon uh, Blue Team. So I kind of smashed those ideas together, and uh, Kai is a Growlithe that... Uh, was transferred into the human world. And so I'm a human and I, I don't know how to get back. So you're saying you got isekai'd. Exactly. That one time I was reincarnated as a human tiger dog cat person. <laughs> human dog or tiger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> human, human dog, tiger, Pokemon, uh, bug. Uh. <laughs> wait, wait where, where the bug come from? I don't know. Oh, fair enough. Uh, I, th- I thought I was the green bug man. You are the green bug man. Ah, lovely, lovely. So, you have joined here, me, myself, accordion, on this fine, wondrous day, to talk about what you really love and enjoy. What would that be? That would be theater, accordion. <gasps> The theater world? You mean like Broadway? The theater! The Broadway! Oh my goodness! <laughs> Absolutely amazing. So, well, what, 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 what about a uh, theater here? What, what, what exactly are we expecting? Why, why, why am I constantly going, whoa, 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 whoa? It's a good sound. Apparently. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, whoa. <laughs> So what what is it about theater that you enjoy? Well, was well, first off, what is theater for those uninitiated and have never 
been in the outside world? Sure. Well, the textbook definition of theater is one person in the audience and one person walking across a stage. So if you've seen that, you've seen theater. Oh my goodness. But <laughs> we see it, you know, all the time, every day. It's in the movies, it's in the commercials, it's in the podcasts. It's everywhere. Wait, I'm on a stage right now? Well, you're... <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know where you are. But you are doing some variation of the same thing. Right. And what, so, so I assume there's some more specific definitions than just a person on stage and a person in the audience. So uh, obviously we have our different medias and fronts and whatnot, movies, TV, etc. But what, what separates that? And I guess what we considered traditional theater. Traditional theater is, I would say, uh, the more classic art form. Obviously, it's been around for a much longer time than things like film. Um, you know, it's it's always live. It's always a live event, and you can't go back and change something. You always have to be on your toes and ready for anything. So I love that theater can just... It, it is what it is in the moment, and you got to roll with it. Um, you know, with film, things can be edited, things you can go back, fix it, and post, you know. But for for live theater events, you don't have that pleasure. That That is correct. With with film and TV and et cetera, you can always do multiple takes of the same thing. You can edit it, cut it in post, et cetera. And, and there is that live element to regular theater that's been around since, hell, even like I really want to think back to it probably even before the Renaissance, maybe even further back. I don't know the exact timeline there. I don't think anyone really does. It just kind of started. It just happened. People had ideas that they wanted to share and tell stories. It basically started with simple storytelling and expanded to bigger audiences and bigger productions. Right. Yeah. I mean, we always had like storytelling, you know, storytelling around the fire or, you know, stories of our ancestors. But the first recorded theater event is in ancient Greece um, with the celebration of Dionysus. Uh, and it's all about like telling stories and there was singing. And at first it was all like, you know, think of like a big pub all singing one song. It was sort of like that. And then it became these people on stage singing a song and other people watching. And then this one guy, Thespis, he steps out and he starts saying his own lines along with the chorus behind him. And that's where we get the word theater is from this guy's name, Thespis. Um, and then it just grew from there, you know, ancient Greece, ancient Rome, uh, we get into medieval times, the Renaissance, and it just grows and grows and grows. And it gets all these like branches of possibility, um, and art forms and just beauty. Um, I'm not a big history buff, but I am teaching an intro to theater class right now. So it's fresh on my mind. <laughs> oh, well, that was perfect. That, that is actually insanely interesting. I, Isn't it? I, I legit didn't know the uh, origin for the, the the word itself. That I 
genuinely interesting. Yeah. Crash Course, uh, the, the YouTube Crash Course, they have specifically a theater history Crash Course playlist. And they kind of, they hit the big points. Well, that's pretty dope. So, yeah, we've, we've tra- <clears throat> traversed from uh, our traditional theater, and now we have all these different art forms of it. We have musicals. We have regular plays. Uh, <laughs> I don't know a lot of variations beyond that, but you get the gist. Right. And it it's, it's an interesting display of how creativity comes out nowadays, uh, especially with theater performances, because as you said, they're live, they're in the moment and almost anything can happen. If, uh, they try, try hard enough. <laughs> Truly. That's what I love about it. You know, it's, you do have a plan. You go into it with a script usually, or, you know, even if it's an improv show, there's a plan of action. You know, we're going to play this game and then we're going to move into this game and then we're going to do this one. Uh, but, Anything could happen, and and you got to be ready for it. Um, you know, the craziest things could happen on stage. There's a one um, play that specifically makes fun of what could go wrong on stage called The Play That Goes Wrong. And the script purposefully writes in for people to, like, come in at the wrong time, for set pieces to fall apart. Um, at one point a woman gets like hit by a door and knocked out. But the rest of the scene is them is the, the men on stage being like, where are you going? You're acting ridiculous. And she's like fainted on stage and it's all in the script. Uh, but it makes fun of the fact that, that anything could go wrong on stage. Oh God, I actually, I would love to see that one. That is amazing. Doesn't it sound great? It does. But, uh, <laughs> Honestly, thinking back to it, I think one of my favorite plays uh, that I read, like the the, uh-huh. the script for, had to be, this is like back in high school, was 12 Angry Men. Oh, really? And ironically enough, like that wasn't even part of the class that I was in. We just had a collection of different plays and whatnot. Like we had Macbeth and a few other things here and there. And I think we were in the middle of reading Macbeth, but it was like I was already through most of it. So I was like, oh, I'll just read something else while I'm paying attention to this somewhat. And I read that in its entirety, and it it just genuinely caught my interest. Uh, for those that don't know, 12 Angry Men is about a jury that is stuck in the room to make the decision that has to be unanimous on whether or not this guy gets to live or die who supposedly committed a murder. And... 11 uh, out of them all say that they're guilty and they all just want to go. They don't really give a shit. And it's just one sole person that's like, no, he's not guilty. And throughout the entire play, he has to, you know, use the evidence and reenact it uh, to prove his point. And slowly, one by one, the other jurors turn to his side until basically it's become the opposite of 11 to 1 to 1 to 11. And I just, the the way that it's written, the way that the approach is, the way I can imagine in my mind, amazing. And there's supposedly a movie to go with it that's in black and white, but I haven't seen too much of that. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was made in the 60s. Don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. Something like that. Something like that. Someone in um, my undergraduate university put on 12 Angry Men, but they specifically only cast women, and the entire production team was women. So uh, it was a play called 12 Angry Men, but everything was being put on by women. Uh, the irony. Exactly. All intentional, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, actually. So <laughs> we got a general gist of what theater is, what it consists of. And I think it's amazing. It's something that I wish I kind of went into uh, growing up. Like, my brother was in theater. Uh, mm-hmm. f- for those I've seen previous episodes, you know who I'm talking to. Uh, and he was, he was originally going to go for a uh, theater major. Nice. What happened? Why didn't he? He dropped out of college. Oh, uh, well, for, that'll For do reasons it. that I shan't explain. It's his story. Exactly. But uh, whenever he was in high school, I would see like a lot of the plays that he would do. He was uh, he he really enjoyed improv and whatnot. So he's also part of our uh, what we denoted as the speech team. And sure, there were like solo acts and etc. But a lot of it was improv based. And, um, I don't know, it was, it was a combination of that and Who's Liza Anyway that really kind of wanted me to go to it and do it. Oh, I love Who's Line. <laughs> it's amazing. It's such a good show. It is. But, uh, unfortunately, due to my scheduling, theater would happen in fourth block, which is the same time band happens. And I was, I'm also a musician of sorts. Wow, gee, I, I couldn't have guessed you, it with my name. What's yeah? What's what instrument do you play? Uh, I play percussion, which is a wide variety of you know mallet instruments, drums, etc. Incredible! And how did that help you learn the accordion? I, uh, half of the accordion is like a piano, <laughs> so not very much. <laughs> yeah, I only know how to play half of it. <laughs> But it's, it's interesting. But you got the beat down. You got the beat down. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I can keep everything in time. No problem. <laughs> but, I, I mean, uh, ironically enough, it's musical performances in their own way are a form of theater as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, hell, specifically, there's musicals where they use their voice. Uh, hell, even opera technically counts. Yep. Uh, but instead of, like... Where in musicals you have portions where they're just normal acting and portions where they're singing. They're just singing the whole fucking time and making you want to rip your ears <laughs> out. Well, some operas are really great, but it is a very specific. So you have both opera, the musical style, and opera, the definition of a script. So they can get a little mix-matched. Like, Hamilton is technically an opera, but because it's not sung like an opera, we call it an operetta. Oh. Interesting. I know. So many technical words. Yeah, this is stuff that, I mean, I would like to know these technical terms because, you know, more info. But it's something that a lot of people don't focus on. But with, with that, what exactly drove you to, like, what, what, what was your first step into the theater world and what made you start this love for it and even to the point of wanting to make some form of career from it. I mean, I'm your classic theater kid. I 
have been trying to make people laugh and smile since before I could walk. I was always very expressive and dramatic. So like most kids, uh, my mom put me in dance and that was okay for a while. Uh, but then I kept wanting to sing along with the music and my dance teacher in my last, like the last half of my uh, last year of dance, she would get so mad and she would whip her head around and be like, who is singing? And I'd be like, uh, it's me. (laughs) But I, that was the only way I could keep tempo and dance like at the right time was if I sung the music, um, made her very upset. And so that's when my mom was like, you know what, maybe we should try putting you in a musical, you know, a thing where you're supposed to sing. So I was, um, eight years old, I think when I auditioned and then nine years old when the play, you know, went on, um, So I I rounded up to nine as my first acting experience. Um, And I was in Peter Pan, not the Disney version, but someone else's version that they wrote. And I was just one of the like kids, you know, Uh, one of the pirates because it was a a children's theater production. So the entire show was children. Um, And I was just one of the pirates. And it was it was so much fun. I, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to make people proud. I wanted to make people smile and laugh. And I really felt like I made a difference, even though I was nine years old. And it just kept going from there. I was continuously in plays and musicals, pretty much at the same theater, um, up until I graduated high school. So I went through different musicals. Um, I had a variety of roles. I was sometimes, you know, in the ensemble, like in Beauty and the Beast, I was a fork. But then, you know, sometimes I was the lead, like in Guys and Dolls, I played Adelaide. So I really got to experience all of it and get this great appreciation for the performance side of things. But the great thing about working in the same theater since I was nine was I also got to experience working backstage, painting the sets being a stage manager, uh, being sort of the business head of parental relations, like relationships with the parents of the kids. And then also, what else did I do? Oh, and then I also taught. Um, I got a chance to teach theater and it really gave me this love of like, not only can I make people happy while being on stage, but I can really like nurture the love for theater in those younger than me and help them kind of find their place in the world of it as well. Intriguing. So you, you have a very deep rooted love for it that's been there since basically childbirth. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I think that's what got me into VTubing. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it makes sense. And and it's very relatable on many different fronts. Honestly, theater is deeply rooted into a lot of things because it it captures a lot of emotion, a lot of action, things that you want to do. It's just put onto a public platform, basically. Yeah. It's like public speaking. Everybody has the spirit in them of storytelling. Uh, but it comes out differently for different people. And for me, I'm not afraid to make a fool of myself. So I got put on stage. <laughs> I, I constantly make a fool of myself regardless. 
But uh, it, it is, and and if you can't laugh at yourself, you you have you have a rough rough time. You have a rough life. I'm not, I'm not gonna yeah. lie. Yeah, because you you gotta be able to find joy in the small things. At the end of the day, you're with yourself, and you gotta be your own best friend. Yeah, which is hard. Absolutely. Per- personally speaking, that is genuinely hard. But yep. I, I, I can, again, compare myself to uh, the whole theater thing because I, I, I also was I, – I, I enjoyed giving people smiles on their face and making them be happy and et cetera. I just didn't quite understand how to go about it. As, as a kid, I was one of those people where everybody knew me. Because I would kind of go out and do things that would get me slightly recognized, but I wasn't, I wasn't cool enough to be part of like the popular <laughs> kids. Like the, right. the popular kids would acknowledge me, and I could occasionally try to talk to them. But if anyone else like joined what they were doing, or like they were going to do like some big group thing, I was never involved, or like I, I was just kind of left out to sit in the dark here, and. and that that aside, I, I remember specifically uh, something that would make people laugh a lot. Granted, I think my brain didn't want to take it as they were laughing at me because they were most definitely laughing at me, but I, more so in the fact that they were laughing with me about like they would say things that would get me upset. And when I was a lot younger, I had more like rage issues. So like my face would just turn completely beet red out of like pure frustration and anger and they they would just laugh at how ridiculous it was and i realized hey i'm making people laugh by doing this so I, i'm gonna do it more often <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, sure. it's, it's silly it, like it it is a weird thing i can have a tendency of making bad things look better than they actually are it's something i've done out of such a young age. Granted, I feel like I'm starting to struggle with that nowadays, but that's because reasons I'm not going to go into. But uh, it 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 all it all kind of boils down to a, being a uh, performer, in a sense. Yeah, I'd say you're a performer for sure. Yeah, because uh, you're 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 trying to portray whatever it is to these other people. And try to make them feel better about themselves or make yourself feel better, etc. Regardless of your reason, you can sometimes put on a show by just doing your actions alone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't quite realize that acting was something that I wanted to do. Uh, it's just something that had been in the back of my mind for the longest of times. But it, it was more so because I... I technically looked up to my brother as much as I despised him as as a kid. For <laughs> sure, because like 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 you, you know how siblings are. We 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 just kind of grew up and hate each other. But uh, there there's certain things that he did that I was like, wow, I wish I could do that. That 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 is something I I wish I had the ability to do. And because because of me looking up to him like that, I didn't quite realize my own potential until much later. And uh, it wasn't until I want to say early early high school that I realized I could voice act. Yeah, 
impressions and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's not necessarily the same as theater. It's the same concept. The only real difference between this and traditional theaters that is up on live. It's theaters live, whereas voice acting is, again, like with film, TV, etc. You can record it, do it however many times you want, and we'll work with it from there. Yeah, I love voice acting. I originally found it... Well, you, I mean, you watch cartoons and all kinds of things growing up, so it's not an unfamiliar concept, but the thought of it being a job, I didn't realize until I found Brizzy Voices on YouTube. And I found her before she got her first voice acting gig, but she just had this like full alphabet of impressions that she's able to do, and then voices of her own that she's made, uh, you know, recognizable characters. And I was always told as a kid that uh, I often made my characters with voices, and that to be a stage actor, I needed to get into my body more and realize, like, how to move my body to make another character and not just rely on my voice to do it. Because some characters don't have lines. So I I couldn't just use my voice. I needed to learn how to use my body as well. And voice acting, you have to have such a strong voice and a recognizable um, character that you can just slip into immediately, you know? Um... Like even if you're you're yelling or or you're sad or any of these things where you might have a, a different emotion than just a normal speaking voice, it's you can't just fall back into your own voice. You know, you ha- you got to stay in character. Exactly, and hell, even with voice acting, uh, that that body language is still very very important because it it. It also helps convey the emotion, even though the audience can't see what you're physically portraying. It it really helps add to the character, and I feel like that's something that a lot of people, both regular voice actors and actors, have a huge issue with: is portraying not only through voice but through body, or vice versa. Because, like, hell, even body language, you can be, like, dead set on that. But whatever whatever you choose the voice to be, it can sometimes just not fit. It doesn't click. And, and that, that's the, uh, the amazing thing about it. So, in theater, we like to tell actors that, you know, you have this toolbox. And when you're going through education or you're going to a camp or something... You're learning from someone who is giving you a tool to put in your toolbox, and it's something you'll be able to pull out and help you later, like a mystery mouse tool, you know? So the voice and the body are two of the biggest tools an actor has. Um, That's our instrument, you know? Like for... For high school accordion, for band kid accordion, your instrument was percussion. You played drums, right? Yeah. So... For me, my instrument, I don't have anything else to play on. All I have is myself. So that's the tool that you use, and that's what you focus on making better. Um, You know, a lot of kids, especially starting out in theater, forget that you have to practice. They're like, oh, well, I know my body. I know my voice. But your body and your voice don't necessarily know the thing that you're trying to get it to do. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, is a normal thing to happen, 
It's all a learning experience. That's what the training's for. That's what practice is for. But let's let's shift gears here a little bit. So we, we, we talk about our personal experiences, but let's go back a little bit more into the uh the the dichotomy. I'm not even sure if I'm using the right word there, of uh theater itself. And there's like a, a bunch of different types, a bunch of different ways to go about doing it. And mm-hmm. it is just kind of piqued my interest here. So Whenever you've done plays and whatnot, what's what's the most common type that you feel like is done throughout theater? Oh, wow. Well, one of the biggest things that you'll see, one of the most common things that seems to happen is what will bring in ticket sales. There's a lot of considerations that go into, you know, what a theater chooses as their... um, like production season, right? And sometimes they want to do something that's like really going to impact the world. And they're like, oh, I really want to do this uh, devised piece about pollution. And so it's like a whole thing. But that is not going to bring in people off the street. But if you hang a poster, uh, you know, outside of your theater that says, Newsies, People are like, oh my gosh, is that that old Disney movie? Is that that thing that I saw on Disney Plus? That Newsies? That Newsies musical? I know that thing. Let's go see that thing. And so they're more likely to come in. It's what pe- gets people in the door. So it's, it's a uh, business mentality still, just like everything else in the world. It's whatever is going to get people into your business. Exactly. Theater is a business. Each actor, you are your own personal business, you know? And that's exactly what what goes into it. Yeah. Well, uh, in, that, in that case, has anyone ever, uh, like normally there, there's some double acts, right? Uh, where you have one play and then an intermission and then there's going to be another play after the fact. I've seen that occasionally. I I haven't been in um, a production that does that, and I don't think I've seen one myself, but it is something I've heard about, yeah. In in, in a sense, it's like seeing a double feature. Yeah. Um, I I personally would imagine for those that feel like conflicted of that nature, they probably would find a way to put both of those titles where the one that's going to bring people in so that they get in the seats in the first place. And then have the other play there to do that insightful impact. Right. Yeah. Another way that uh, that theaters will try to start that kind of, you know, the important conversations is they'll do a musical or a play. Um, for an, uh, for example, one musical is You're in Town. Um, and the premise of that musical is that you have to pay to use the bathroom. And you get arrested if you use the bathroom on the street. Oh, that's why it's called urine town. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very funny, it's, it's, it's a funny concept, but a sad musical. It's, it's a tragedy and it's a, you know, a dystopian society and, um, but it's a known musical. So it gets people in the door. And then what theaters will do is they will have what's called a talk back after the show where they have an expert in you know, whatever topic they're trying to discuss, you know, some of the um, production staff, like the director is usually there and maybe some of the performers as well to sit down and talk with 
the community, uh, the people who came to see the show, about the thing that they're like trying to focus on. Interesting. So if they're like, oh, this new water bill, that has something to do with urine town. So after urine town, we'll have a talk back where we can talk about what a water bill might do to our community. Uh, that, well, that, that is intriguing. Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's a smart move. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> We're very us theater folk. Oh, insanely tricky. I don't tell you that much. <laughs> well, all, all right. So, so it's usually whatever is going to get people in the door, which, uh, I mean, that has its benefits and its drawbacks. Uh, Absolutely. In that, in that case, what, what play do you see being done the most often? Right now, a very popular play is She Kills Monsters by, uh, I'm going to say his name wrong, Koi Nguyen. He's an American-Korean playwright, and um, it's about Dungeons & Dragons. Ooh. So it touches on Dungeons & Dragons, it touches on queer experience, and uh, one of the actors uh, is... One of the students is disabled, but her Dungeons and Dragons character that she plays is not, uh, because in her fantasy world, you know, she doesn't have to use a wheelchair. So it touches on a lot of important things, and it's in that high school age range. So it's really important to, you know, people who are about to become adults, and they've got a lot on their minds. So that play has been popular for the last like. 10 years i'd say damn um you'll also see classics like romeo and juliet um pretty much every town has a shakespeare in the park where they do shakespeare outside every summer yeah i mean that makes sense yeah because uh you know uh fuck what's it called something diameter i iambic pentameter so something like that (laughs) i know it's iambic uh, where they they have the weird like speech pattern. Oh, uh, yeah, iambic pentameter. Yeah, pentameter. There we go. Pentameter. Yeah, because penta means five. Right. So, so it's like, um, explain it. Sure. So, uh, it's it's the way that that Shakespeare's plays are written, um, and every line is ten syllables, and every other syllable is the stressed syllable. So in the classic way of reading those lines, there's a very particular way that it is said um, and therefore studied. Yeah, I, I, I would give a, an attempt at reading some, but I feel like I would fuck it up pretty badly. <laughs> no, me too. I'm terrible at Shakespeare. But he, he's a classic. He's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody loves Shakespeare. Everybody wants Shakespeare. Uh, everybody recognizes the name. You know, and they know the stories. How many Romeo and Juliet movies have there been? You know, Um, have you heard of the musical Something Rotten? No. So Something Rotten is a very funny musical, but it has to do with Shakespeare. He's sort of the antagonist of the musical. And there's this song called Good to be the Bard. And in it... um, Oh my gosh, I hold on, I want to read it to you. It's so great. Where's my mouse? Let me find these lyrics. Oh, it's hard to be the bard. 
His song is called It's Hard to Be the Bard. It's also just a great musical in general. A lot of um, really big Broadway names were in the original cast for this song, uh, for this musical. So about, you know, in the middle of the song, um, Shakespeare, he's talking about how great it is to be himself, uh, but then also how difficult it is to write uh, an iambic pentameter. So he says, um, Oh, gosh. Where should I start? This whole verse. Okay. He says, you see, what people just don't understand is that writing's demanding, it's mentally challenging, and it's a bore. It's such a chore to sit in a room by yourself. Oh, my God, I just hate it. And you're trying to find an opening line or a brilliant idea, and you're pacing the floor, and you're hoping for just a bit of divine intervention, that one little nugget, that one little smart, then Eureka, you found it, you're ready to start. So now you can write, write, wrong. You're not even close. You remember that, damn it, your play's got to be an iambic pantameter. <laughs> and then he goes in, he, it's, it's, and then there's more of that song. But they, they, they wrote it in. They wrote it right there into the song. <laughs> that it's got to be an iambic pantameter. But a great musical. Highly recommend it. Yeah, that, that sounds very entertaining. It is so good. They they performed it on the Tonys the year that they, they were nominated. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, in that case, so we, we got the very popular old playwright, Shakespeare. Everybody knows Shakespeare. Is there any more uh, modern-day playwrights that have really just kind of hit the scene? Oh, well, everybody knows Lin-Manuel Miranda. That is true, who is uh, yeah. a very big Weird Al fan, as I found out. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, whenever Al posted uh, the Hamilton polka, where he takes uh-huh. major- majority, if not all the songs from the play Hamilton, and put it into a polka medley. <laughs> yeah. I highly recommend you check that out. <laughs> I think I've heard one of them. Uh, one of those songs, but I should listen, or, or like part of it, but I, I should listen to it again. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Hamilton uh, is an insanely popular one. Even I've heard of it. Uh, and there's been many, many parodies I've seen of some of their songs. And it's like me personally, I'm not big on musicals. I enjoy singing. I enjoy music, but I don't know, just something about musicals themselves really put me off. I think Bethy. The last time that I felt intrigued by a musical it has been the Green Day one that happened back in like 06. Right, yeah. Which There's quite a few of those pop punk musicals. Yeah. And, and funny enough, uh, this was mentioned on a previous episode, but like one of my favorite all time movies growing up was Car Wash with Richard Pryor which was uh-huh. a musical. So, like, I don't fully understand why I don't like musicals. I feel like there's something, th- like, hidden deep in my brain that just, other than the fact that I'm just very stereotypically narcissist, no, not narcissistic, pessimistic about things. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just something that I'm just like, oh, God, people singing? Not a lot of people are great singers. <laughs> <laughs> And I, th- I think that's probably my like, m- like ideology behind it. But it's like I, sure. I don't know. Musicals just aren't quite the thing that 
drag me into it. But I also haven't seen a play since my brother was in one. Yeah. I find that, um, you know, with any piece of of entertainment, yeah, you got to find the right people to make it. So for musicals, it sounds like you're really into rock musicals. Yeah. You know, so you mentioned Green Day. Uh, there's American Idiot. Um, that's a musical. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, there's also a Green Day musical, like it's named Green Day. Oh, all right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, there's there's a lot, and and those are called um, oh shoot. So there's a specific genre of musical that is specifically taking one artist's songs and making a story out of them, um, like American Idiot. Uh, also, Mamma Mia is um, you know all ABBA songs, so that's an, another example of that kind of musical. I um, was not the band I was going to guess. <laughs> really? No, my brain was like, Mamma Mia, that reminds me of Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Mamma Mia. Yeah. Mamma Mia, let me go. Oh, that's great. So all of that to kind of point out that there's a specific kind of entertainment for everybody. You know, I don't like uh, jump scare movies, but I love romantic movies. So just as there's different kinds of movies that I prefer, there are musicals. Like you mentioned, there's a musical that you like. So it's not that you dislike all musicals always because you hate musicals. You just have a specific taste. And I think everybody has a specific taste and they just haven't found the, you know, if if you don't like theater, if you don't like musicals, you just haven't found the one that's to your liking yet. As, as much as I hate to make this comparison, uh, due to the friends that I have around me, a lot of them, they, they bring up weed in the same way. Cause it's like, well, if you don't like it, that means you just haven't found the right strain for you. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know about weed. <laughs> I don't know anything about weed, but I sure do know that, that that's correct for theater. Right. So, so we, we know a lot about the front part of it. You know, we got the actors, actresses and, uh, it's a good thing that they're being a lot more inclusive now. Uh, I, actually, let's touch on that real quick. So with the inclusiveness uh, of theater lately, uh, I assume they've been doing that for a decent amount of time. Because uh, like originally theater was like, oh, only guys can play all characters. <laughs> and, like even yeah. the women. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The, uh, you know, even when Shakespeare was writing, like, like we mentioned theater starting in ancient Greece. Um, but all of those years, even up through Shakespeare, women were not allowed on stage. That was a that was a bad thing to do. So men would play women. Yeah. Which, I mean, admittedly is relatively funny, but it's also pretty fun because, <laughs> you know, equal representation. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, obviously with the rise of uh, the notoriety and the more awareness of like the LGBTQ plus and et cetera. Uh, how, how do you think that's affected the theater world? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a big thing. Um, there's a stereotype of theater people being gay because a lot of them were gay. <laughs> so straight people can do theater too. Absolutely. Uh, but often, it, you know, 
we'll see we'll see gay men. So even like older scripts like Angels in America, it's about uh homosexuality and the AIDS crisis in New York City. Um and there's a there's a lot of different things a lot of different topics that people have tried to put on stage before, but um, forever, for whatever reason, uh, they were shamed for doing so. Like society was like, oh, you can't talk about that on stage. We don't want to see that. And it's only been very, you know, the last hundred years, not even, that it has been widely accepted to talk about um intense topics such as sexuality or gender on stage. And then with that, you know, making sure that the person who's playing that role is relating to it. They're not making it up in um, sort of a a mockery. Yeah, that is one of the harder things that I assume was uh, very apparent in the earlier days of uh, theater is – the since since the, they have to have a specific portrayal of things, it's bad to get someone that has no clue of the topic and the situation to try and play a character that is of that situation. So, like me, I couldn't play a woman deep in labor. I wouldn't understand that at all. <laughs> that would be right. insanely bad and really fucking awkward. Just because I have the hair doesn't mean I need to play a woman, guys. <laughs> right. Yeah, but it's, exactly. it's all about the connective tissue that is insanely important. And uh, thankfully, with the more inclusiveness and the acceptance of people beyond you know, what was originally the social norm – thankfully that's changing mm-hmm. is uh getting people that can relate to these important topics and characters yeah absolutely um it was a, a big thing you know when society claimed that they were accepting uh people of of the alphabet mafia or um different people with disabilities they would um, sort of write into the script and the person would start the play with a disability or a mental health or a mental health issue or something. But then by the end of the play, they would be quote unquote fixed and something about them would change. Um, Like in the musical Wicked, beautiful musical. It's been on Broadway forever, but one of the characters, Nessa, is in a wheelchair for most of the show, but someone who is primarily in a wheelchair in their daily life could not play that role because at the end of the show, like in the last like quarter of the show, uh, she is quote unquote fixed and, um, you know, Alphaba, our main character, fixes her legs um, I say that with sarcasm, and she is able to stand and walk. Um, and so it's such a like difference in the way that that people are seen, you know, um, when that musical was written, it's actually based on a book, but when the the book was written, it was that something was wrong with, 
you know, people with disabilities or people um, who weren't cis and straight. And now we are able to see, we're, we are currently seeing more musicals and plays being written where these people are accepted and loved just the way they are. And it's not about what is quote unquote wrong with them, but you know, who they are, their personality and what their hearts are. Um, and it's not a, like there's, there's normal is not a real thing. Fixing people is not a thing. I, I mean, yeah, everybody should be accepted the way that they are Ma- making a very political statement at the end of this here. <laughs> you know, it's, it, I'm not trying to be political. No, I'm, no, not no, trying I'm not to... saying that you are, but like a, a lot of people are unfortunately going to take it as such, but it's, it's important that, People should be themselves. And that's uh, the main drawback from this is, well, not drawback, but, you know, what you should draw from this is be yourself, be happy, whatever makes your life better at the expense of not hurting anyone. That is the main thing that people need to focus. You can do anything you want to as long as you're not hurting people and preferably not breaking the law. If you can do those two things, I think you're perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've I've always said, you know, if you're not hurting anyone else and you're not hurting yourself, I'm fine with the way that you live your life. <laughs> your choice. <laughs> exactly. But we'll, we'll we'll continue on my original gear change here before oh, sure. I realize that whole debacle is uh we cover the front side of things, but what what about the back side? I, I say in a very non-kinky way. Trust me. <laughs> so with the, the behind the scenes, being able to do work with the props, be able to create the sets. What what's what's all that like? Right. So backstage. The 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 behind the scenes, the backstage part. Yes. Yes. I've worked um I've had a little bit of experience with every aspect of design and working backstage. There are so many people that work on a play that the audience never sees because um, they're behind the curtains, you know? So you've got your sound operators, you've got your light operators, uh, the people who put the costumes on them, the people who make the stage look beautiful, um, the stage manager, um, you know, there's just there's all of these jobs that are so important. And, um, I, you know, when I was in high school, I was able to help with the backstage stuff, uh, by being a stagehand and moving things on stage or coming in outside of rehearsal hours and painting the set, uh, working on props, uh, making things work, you know, um, and it wasn't until I was in college that I was introduced into the world of costume design. And I started, uh, I, I, I have two bachelor degrees, you know, one in musical theater performance and the other one in theatrical design. So I had to take entire course loads of classes about specific areas of design and the world of design itself. Um, so kind of a treat into all of that. Um, even though my specialty is costumes, I know a little bit about scenery and I know a little bit about lighting and sound and props. Um, and it really opens up a world of opportunity. You know, even if I can't perform in a show, I'm fully capable of participating because I, I know I have so many other tools, you know, like our, our toolbox, like we mentioned earlier. 
Yeah, you, you got you got numerous tools within that toolbox. And honestly, it's if if you were to compare, let's use the analogy here that the actors and actresses are the heart of the play itself, the theater, etc. All the stagehands and prop designers and everything else, they're the brain. Because they're the one that controls every other nerve, etc. within the entire body to do specific things. It's what makes everything function and make the heart beat. Yeah, that's a beautiful sentiment, yeah. The... The world of theater is such a collaborative process, you know, even if one person does a one man show, right, they are wearing so many hats because they got to do it all. And when you're able to be in a production that has people doing all sorts of different things, you know, you have your director and your stage manager and your designers and your actors and your stage hands and all of those wonderful people, you're able to create something really beautiful that is more than one brain would be able to make on its own because you got so many different backgrounds and experiences coming in to put a personal touch on this one beautiful thing. And it it becomes this like big collaborative piece of art. It's a great, you know, physical, um, not experimental, um, a piece of art that that the audience gets to experience along with the people who are creating it. It is collaborative in more ways than one. Absolutely. And it's it's honestly something that um to to this day still kind of amazes me because of how much work can be put into it and the amount of satisfaction on all sides there can be. Yeah. One of my favorite things about performing on stage is the role that the audience plays. Because when you're on stage, you can feel the energy of an audience. Think about any music thing you've gone to see. If you are a fan of, you know, uh, classical music or big band music or... Uh, you know, rock music, think of the energy that the audience holds. As a collective, the audience just like, kind of, they all agree together to be in it at the same time and and to really be present for it. And that fuels the performers. You know, we can feel that on stage. And when we have an audience that is... um invested as much as we are it makes the entire production much more enjoyable for everyone involved yeah it's it's like let's say that we're at a concert whatnot and it is it's, it's a mutual type of energy thing because uh the performers they feel the energy of the audience and they can get really hyped up depending on you know the energy and yeah. feel real excited and they're going to play the best fucking show that they can. And when they receive that energy from the audience, the audience can see that they're reflecting that same energy back to the audience. It's a never-ending cycle. Exactly. A circle of friendship. And, and like, uh, I used to be a marching band. And I I wasn't big on the contests. Like, the contests, they were nice. They were fun. They were cool. 
But I enjoyed playing at the football games so much more because there was less pressure on doing well. Yeah. Because you're not being as, you know, harshly judged. <laughs> it's just you and entertaining the audience. And and the uh, the energy the audience can exude is just gratifying. Yeah, people get so invested and it's this like agreement between audience and and performers. We're like no matter how silly we think we're being right now, we all agree not to judge each other. <laughs> we all love it in the end. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that that reminds me uh we used to have this uh competition for marching band back in my hometown called Bandapalooza. Bandapalooza. Yeah, it was a really fun experience. I, I enjoyed every year that I got to be part of it. And every year we had a theme where we would dress up in costumes. Oh, fun! Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. Uh, but right before the award ceremony, we would always have a dance type thing uh, out on like the entire fucking football field. Nice. And I, I just remember every time that I've ever danced in front of people, I've always tried my best to show off. Because <laughs> I get like, I, I I legitimately get very hyped and excited and do sort of that shit. And it's like, if it's something insanely basic, like the cha-cha slide or Cupid shuffle, shit like that, there's like points where you have the free time where you're not doing anything specifically so like like, mm-hmm. like let's say in the church slide you, you know slide to the left slide to the right etc when he says turn it out i would always do something completely random i love that i think the the most popular ones that i would do is i would do a flip a flip back flip or yeah. front flip front nice that's hard yeah. to do from a standing position <laughs> It was, and I never really landed it. <laughs> oh, no. But it never hurt enough for me to not be able to get back up. Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then there was another time where uh, another bandmate, he, he was literally like this uh, hulking size man that everybody called him Jesus. Because he had the hair, he had the beard, everything. Sure. He straight up got from behind me, picked me up with both of his arms, and just held on to me that way, swinging me about. <laughs> While oh we my. still kept dancing. <laughs> I love it. And, and it's, it's like stuff like that. It's, it, in a sense, that's still performing. That's still a part of theater because yeah. it's it's a performance. That's mm-hmm. all that really is at the end of the day. And, and it's, it's stuff like that is so enjoyable. But let's, let's get to the point here that everybody has been kind of expecting if you've been keeping up with the episodes here. We have a lot of amazing things about theater. But what's 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 some of the drawbacks? Was what what about it is not as savory? Things that make you feel like I kind of don't want to do this anymore. This is insanely bad. This sucks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of different directions I can go with this question. That um, is true. <laughs> one of the things that has made me question the the desire to do it at all is when the joy gets sucked out of it. And people can put a lot of pressure into one thing 
Um, you know, this is experienced in a lot of different ways. Um, but in theater, you know, maybe you'll have like one director who is asking a lot, but is also not giving any information at all. And so the directors, they're, they're the main man, right? They're the head honcho, but they, they're supposed to give the answers at the end of the day. They, they make the, the final decisions, right? They're like the judge of the courtroom. But if they just keep telling you no and then don't give you a way to improve, then you just get burnt out. And there's this big question of why am I here? Why am I doing this to myself? I'm not enjoying any part of this process, and I really don't understand what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, I I feel that on a very personal level, because the amount of burnout I feel on things, especially if I don't know how to do it right, is immense. It's always a struggle when, um, you know, you don't want to be wrong. And that's one of the hardest things. They always tell us in music rehearsals for um, musicals and and choir and things like that. They're like, I want you to be confidently wrong because then I can hear if you're wrong and we can work on it. We can fix it. Yeah. And that that's a similar thing mm-hmm. of uh, what I was told in music. Mm-hmm. Be confidently wrong in practice. But, like, let's say you make a mistake in the performance as well. Still be confidently wrong. Because nine times out of ten, the audience is not going to be able to tell. This is very true, yes. <laughs> and uh, it's it's honestly, uh, it's a thing that can apply to a lot of different things. But not everything, obviously. So it's like, let's say you're working on somebody's life support. And you're just like, hmm, I'm not, I'm not sure if I need to do that. You know what? Fun, no, I'm confident. I'm going to do this. Oh, I just killed them. Oh. Yeah, it's maybe not the best time to be confidently wrong. <laughs> so, but, you know, right time, right place. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In Things theater, that don't truly matter. In theater, it's a good time to be confidently wrong. But if you're being confidently wrong and then no one's telling you how to fix it then you're like i'm just wrong all the time maybe i'm just not good at this and then that's when it like starts to fester you know and it becomes like a self-confidence issue and it's it's more than just what is happening in the production and a lot of a lot of theater people um and and other people in entertainment adjacent fields or theater adjacent fields, like, like voice acting and film and and things, we all experience this where it's, it's just this like sudden, like, am I wrong? Am I bad? (laughs) And then I'll ask my mom and she's like, no, you're great. And I'm like, mom, you're biased. (laughs) Your opinion doesn't count. (laughs) Like what the fuck? Come on. (laughs) No, but, but it's true. And, and, and trying you know, to get back up after that, it's really difficult. It is. I, I honestly, um, God, I, I, as much, as much as I hate to tell this story, but, uh, there was a point. It, it was after I, I left high school, I graduated. I left home roughly like a week after my 18th birthday. Wow. These are like 
personal issues with my parents. We've ironed it out. It's fine now. That's good. Um, but I stayed with a couple of my old bandmates' family's house. And I, I think one day they asked me to mow the lawn. Because since I was living there, but I had to help out, etc. And I fucked up. Because I supposedly hit, like, a mole trap or something. Oh. And, I like, I had no idea it was there. Legit yeah. was not, couldn't see it because I have terrible eyesight. Not enough for me to be, like, I need glasses, but just, like, perception is pretty shit. Like, yeah. that, I, I rolled low on that in my D&D character <laughs> sheet. <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 I just got berated for it. Because it's like, how, how the fuck did you not know? Blah, 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 etc. And it just completely demoralized me to the point mm. where I didn't want to help anything whatsoever at all. Mm-hmm. And basically what I would do is I would go to work, come back home, stay in the basement. Mm-hmm. Not do anything. Keep to myself. That ended up getting me kicked out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Isolating, isolating yourself is is definitely not the, the solution. It can in certain instances, but not very often. It can be helpful, but not long term. Definitely not long term. But uh, yeah, when we guys have like self doubt of that nature, don't don't let it don't let it hit you that hard. Don't don't let it like fester up, make you feel like shit because that doesn't help anyone. Doesn't help you, doesn't help the people that you're around. Your best bet is whenever, you know, people yell at you for being wrong, etc. And once the emotional side of things happen, try to talk with them, you know? Because mm. communication is about the best thing you can do. That's exactly what happened to me last summer. I was working on a, a play, and, and I'm in a graduate program, so we start designing for the fall and the spring and then we go on summer break and we come back in the fall and we get to it like actually making the thing and I had not given my final designs at the end of the spring semester and I went into summer without telling my team what the design was supposed to be and then I was so paralyzed by my own fear of failure that I completely cut off, like I isolated myself from anyone who might have asked me anything about that. Even though I was working in the area and I was doing other theater things, I was like, if I think about that for one second, I think I'm going to be sick. Like I cannot think about that. I can't think about how much I'm letting these people down and I'm disappointing these people. And the longer I went without talking to any of those people, the worse it got. And I went, I went almost the entire summer without talking to any of them. And they were like, we need your designs. You are the designer for the show and you have to tell us what's going on. If you don't, there won't be a show. And I was like, you're right. You're absolutely correct. But what if my designs are wrong? And they're <laughs> like, can you, can you get your head on straight, please? <laughs> And I was like, okay, okay, I'm sorry. I am in grad school. I'll try to get it together. But it took a really difficult conversation with our production manager. And she sat me down and she was like, listen, 
I hated grad school. She's like, I drove home every day. I lived with my parents and I drove home every day. Every single car ride home, I was crying. And I was like, why am I in grad school? Why am I doing this to myself? I hate this. But it was absolutely worth it. Like it was three years of hell, but I promise you it's worth it. And she said, if you can make it through this, you will be fine. And she was absolutely right. It was such a difficult time and it was such a big hurdle that I had to get over. But I'm a better theater artist because of it, you know? Take your pain and use it as your brush. Create <laughs> something magnificent from it. Yes! I, I say with that with, like, a huge hint of sarcasm, but it's also, like, being legit. Like, yeah. honestly, the one of the best ways to exert out any issues that you have is to redefine it in some form of art. Now, it doesn't have to be like a painting or anything. It, it could literally be anything. Anything creative. Because it gets you to use your brain. It gets your mind off of stuff. And who knows? You can find joy in something new. Yeah, it helps you release it. It's no good keeping it all pent up. Agreed. So, Kai, t- tell me the reason why people should use theater as that exertion of emotion. Why, why should people enjoy it? Why should they get into it? Theater, like we've said, you know, there's so many different avenues of theater and there's so many different genres, so many different stories to tell. There's absolutely something out there that every single person can relate to. And finding community through theater and finding your creativity, being able to explore the different facets of yourself and the people around you just opens up this beautiful opportunity, you know, in your life and in what you're able to accomplish. Well said. Well said. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Why? Because I'm I'm stupid. Oh, stop. But <laughs> But with that, thank you, Kai, ever so much for being here. It's always a joy to talk with you whenever I can. I know you're constantly busy with your theater stuff, but hey, I I managed to convince you to come on here to talk specifically (laughs) about that. That was the main driving point that got you on Hey, Accordion, thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. It's always great to talk to you. And man, I am so proud of you for making a podcast. Oh, It's great. No, no, no need to do It's great. That it's now. brilliant. You're amazing. You're amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm amazing, you say. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I can't believe it. <laughs> but with that, is there anything you would like to uh, tell the listeners here about what you do? Uh, anything that you want to plug? Anything that they should check out? Hey, love yourself. Respect yourself. If you recognize that TikTok... Or, oh my god, no, it was a vine. <laughs> Let me start over. <laughs> take two. <laughs> yep, take two. Hey, hey. Love yourself. Respect yourself. If you recognize that vine, you should follow me on Twitch. Twitch.tv forward slash Arcanine. <laughs> care, care to spell that for oh, me? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so Arcanine is A-R-K-A-I-N-I-N-E. It's it's the Pokemon Arcanine, but instead of C A, it's my name, Kai. It fit, it fits right in there. So it's it, it does, it, it does. I think it was rather clever. I'm not. Gonna thank lie. you. I was very excited when I found that out. My original uh, 
branding was a honey bear and I was honey bunches of Kai. And then I was like, this doesn't feel like me. This isn't me. What this is isn't this? me. Who is this person? <laughs> oh, well, I think I like honey. Yes, but honey, honey's quite nice. Maybe I'll bring her back someday. Oh. Where Christopher go? <laughs> oh, bother. Oh, poo. <laughs> All right. Thank you again so much, Kai. As always, I'm Accordion. You guys know who I am. If you don't know who I am, I'm slapping each and every single one of you across the face. You can find me at Twitch, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, literally almost any platform at this point. Usually under the uh, acronym, no, ac not acronym, the name of uh, the Accordion Coverist in full. Tag. Yeah, tag. Good old tag. But I, I hardly ever use that. I don't think I have used that in years. Because I thought it was dumb. <laughs> but uh, if you don't know how to spell that, it's T-H-E-A-C-C-O-R-D-I-O-N-C-O-V-E-R-I-S-T. If you don't know how to spell accordion, you're an idiot. It definitely has I'm just, I'm just saying it right at now. least one A. Only one A, <laughs> not two. Maybe two. It's an ion, not an E in Maybe accordion. two A's. Maybe. No, no, no only one. <laughs> It has two O's. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. With that, I think we're done here. Goodbye, audience. Bye-bye, everyone. Podcast out. <laughs>